Thank you, Daniel. You can call me Barney. Um, actually, before we get started this morning, there's something that I want to do with you guys. Um, we're a family, and we're, we're a church here, amen? Oh, we got to give a little more excitement to being a family in a church. We're a family in a church, right? Yeah. Amen. And so I'm going to bring Israel up here, wherever he is. Israel to the front. Israel to the front. Will the real Israel Talamantes please stand up? Can we give it up for him as he comes up here? Um, now, a lot of us know and love uh, this man. Pat, there, yeah, there we go. So, um, many of you guys have heard this announcement already, but um, one of the things that Israel and his wife Megan um, have felt like the Lord had put on their heart and put on it for a while was to um, plant um, a Spanish church. Um, in a particular location, and that was part of their coming down, actually, uh, from the Seattle area, was to learn and to to be equipped and even to navigate this community here about going out and bringing the gospel um, to that place. And so God has honored that. That was something that was from the Lord. The Lord opened doors um, for him and Megan to be able to do that and to step into that for that season. And so... While it is a huge honor, and there's nothing better than knowing that you're following and stepping in faith in the Lord, saying yes to something means also saying no to things in time. And so this is actually um, going to be his last Sunday leading up front, officially as the youth pastor this morning. And so everybody go, oh. Um, But he is still on staff, and he is still around here. But we just wanted to recognize that. And I'm going to ask you guys to do something on the count of three, um, you know, <laughs> yeah. You know, one of the things with leadership is that we don't always get an opportunity to express our gratitude um, for all the things that this man has put in. He's put in so many hours, even more than the hours and the time and the effort. There's been an internal commitment in his own heart, in his own passion, and in his own love for you guys. And so on the count of three, I'm going to ask you guys to make as much noise and joy as possible as a point of saying thank you to this man for everything that he has done specifically for you guys. Not not because for any selfish intent, but because he truly loves you and he wants you guys to see Jesus both in worship and in every part of your life. So can we do that? Can we do that? So one, two, three, go. also want to do something as well if just where you're at if you would just want to extend a hand towards him that we we are called to pray over one another and something that we do is that we would pray in commission um, that we would send we see that throughout the bible and we see that happening before us we see the holy spirit moving in him and megan's life and jesus together lord we just commission we send lord we affirm what your spirit is doing lord we affirm even just the steps of faith they're taking right now in their life and so Holy Spirit, would you move in a mighty way in this community? Lord, would you give them favor with families, with just even the city government, Lord, with communities, with apartment complexes, with schools? And Lord, would you 
um, use him as you have used him so many times to speak your words and reveal how much you love us, God. Would you use him in that same way, and Megan in that same way, Lord, to reveal the love of Christ, Lord, and to have your name proclaimed so that there may be just restoration of relationship with you, God, and forgiveness of sins. Lord, we pray for that together, and we pray in the mighty name of Jesus, the name that's above all names. Everyone said? Amen, amen. Can we give it up to him one more time? Well, I'm excited to join you guys this morning. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We have a couple Bible fairies around the room. If you do have your Bible with you, go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 4. This morning... um, I hope you guys all had a happy Easter as well this past week. This morning, we're going to be looking at a a scripture and a context that is personally one of my my favorites. I feel like the Lord has been speaking a lot through this passage to me. You know when you're reading through the Bible or you hear a story in the Bible, and it feels like the Lord just doesn't allow you to forget it. That there's a point of just, I can't seem to shake this story. I can't seem to shake this scripture. Um, That's been kind of my journey and walk with this story here in Matthew chapter 4. It's a specific story about Jesus during his earthly ministry when when he came to earth and he came to die for our sins and he came to resurrect again. We celebrated that last week and it was awesome. Amen. But one of the things that Jesus also did in that was he revealed what God was like because how many of you have ever wondered what God is like in your life? Wondered what he felt like, what he looked like, What were his values? What was his heart like? One of the things that Jesus did was, it was God came in human form. God came in such a way that we could understand him, that we could even, you know, comprehend what he would look like because he would communicate on our terms. We understand human tendencies. And when Jesus came in human form, came in a way that we could understand God. Amen? And when that happened, you see all kinds of different ways that we gain an understanding of how to relate to God. How many of you know that person in your life that you would never tell anything because they just don't understand you? Like you would tell them something and they would just, what? Like they're not even human or they wouldn't understand the depth of your own heart. See, a lot of people would think of God because he's not human, or at least he wasn't, that when we struggle with human weakness and we would come to him, that God would just say, what? I don't get that. Don't struggle with that. Don't be weak in that. Do it right. Yet what God in his incredible love did was he came in human form. And he showed us, and what the word says is that Jesus himself felt what we felt in Hebrews chapter 4. And it's because of that that we're able to approach his throne of grace with confidence to receive mercy whenever we need it. That there's a confidence about being a lover of Jesus that we get to approach him and say, God, I need help with this, with this human weakness. And he says, amen. I remember walking those same feet and feeling those same sufferings and temptations, yet achieving victory for you and giving you the victory that you need. And we look at one of those stories here. It's in chapter 4. It takes place after Jesus was baptized in verse 1, it's actually one of, the, one of the only passages, if not the only one, where Jesus is recorded alone in the Gospels. Because all the other ones have people around, but this one is by himself. And so we reach this point in where it says in verse 1 of chapter 4, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit 
into the wilderness, other translations say the desert, to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Amen? Amen. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Can you say amen with me? When you talk about this word temptation, a story that is about temptation, concerning Jesus of all people, um, I don't think it's a coincidence that when you see temptations in an account of Jesus alone that they're correlated. Temptation in the Bible is um, something as defined as testing, that there's this testing of your own faith, testing of your own will, testing of your own heart that happens when temptation comes. You see it even in verse 3 here, throughout this temptation by Satan out in the wilderness, um, that in verse 3, it actually refers to him as the tempter, that that's one of the titles of the enemy, that he's a tempter when it comes to us. And when you talk about something like temptation, how many of you have heard of temptation before? Can you say temptation out loud? The temptations, get it? Ha, ha, ha. The band? I'm old, sorry. Temptation is something that's interesting because it's, it's a common, common theme throughout our lives. It's a common thing that we have an enemy that would want to tempt us, yet it's often not acknowledged. And temptation in itself, there's a lot of confusion around it as well. There's a lot that's spoken about it throughout the Bible. Lead me not into temptation is one of the prayers that we would pray. Yet there's, there's even some people that think or would misconstrue or be confused in thinking, well, God is tempting me. And in fact, in James 1.13, what it says is that some people would say, God is tempting me. But it says, you shouldn't say that. But this is what temptation is. It says, when each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and they're enticed. That what is temptation? It's this idea that you are being dragged away by your own evil desires, that you have these weaknesses, you have these, these points, um, these cracks, you could even say. You could even say it's like this fire and temptation is like trying to pour gasoline on it. There's something dormant that happens there, and temptation goes for it and tries to entice and to drag away. And what's interesting about temptation is it goes for those points. And so if you struggle with something, that's often going to be the point where temptation hits you. Personally, I struggle with anger. So where does temptation tend to try to put its finger on me? Try to get me angry. It's not a coincidence that I have to continue to bring that to God or I feel like things get me angry. 
if you struggle with denial, if you struggle with gossip, where do you think the enemy is going to go? Gossip. If you struggle with a boy or a girl, hello. That might be a point, struggle with temptation lustfully or sexually. That's often why temptation would go after those things as well. So it's a point of, you could even say that Satan in such a way is trying to egg you on almost in those areas. And what's interesting about temptation, why it can be difficult, is that temptation doesn't come with flashing lights, with flags and saying, like temptation coming your way. But temptation hides in plain sight. It hides before you. How many of you, now, this is a safe place, how many of you still do an Easter egg hunt in here? (laughs) You know, we, our family, we still do, we, my mom likes to hide a giant egg that's full of cash, and she hides it somewhere in the downstairs of our house. And so here's a bunch of 20 and 30-somethings. We come, and the, the hunt starts at 2.30, and you should just see all these people just tearing apart the downstairs of our house. And so my sister-in-law is pregnant, so it's like you keep well out of her way because she's going to, you know, she's going to push you out of the way, and she's going to find that egg. And what's interesting is that we look so hard. We search everywhere for it. We're going through closets. We're going through crawl spaces. We're tearing out drawers, tearing apart the kitchen. But you want to know where it was? It was literally on this couch in plain sight. This is how savage my mom is. How many of you have a savage mom in this room? This is how savage my mom is. So a couple years ago, I got her a stuffed minion. And she's like, thank you so much for this, and just leaves it on the couch. She cut the back of the minion, took out the cotton, and put the egg in and stapled it in again. Isn't that? I was like, Mom! (laughs) She's like, I'm sorry, but we had to hide it well. But it was just sitting right there the entire time. But here's why everyone looked at it and looked away. Because we didn't think it would be right there. It's a minion. It's a minion. But it's in plain sight, and it's something that we wouldn't expect. And temptation often works the same way. Temptation doesn't come with flashing lights, but it comes with, can you believe what they just said? Or it comes with, that'd be nice. Or, oh, you should should stay. That's how temptation comes. It starts small, and it comes with even a voice that would sound like our own. And yet it manifests itself, and because it's so plain in sight, Sometimes it can be hard to recognize or even address. And would you say that it's hard to address something if you don't know it's there? Yes? Amen. Satan is called a tempter, but he's also called an accuser and a liar. And when you combine them all, the word would say that he's the father of lies and that when he speaks lies, it's his natural language. The enemy can't speak truth. Everything that the enemy would say to us is a lie. And when you combine temptation with lying and accusing, you get this, this weird mix that you see here in the scripture. Something that you would uh, even see with these temptations, they seem to be random at best. You know, because if, you're, if you were trying to tempt the Son of God, would you try to tempt him to change stones into bread? Ooh, like, what a terrible thing to do. You know, or jump off a building. The last one seems to have some weight to it, but yet it still seems random. But when you take a look at this scripture, when you take a look at 
even just how it would be threaded together, you see something interesting happen in each of the temptations. There's this phrase that's repeated, if, if you were the Son of God, or if you are the Son of God. And then the last one says, if you bow down to me. If implies something that you need to do. And you see it in the three temptations right there. I think that to better understand even just how impactful that is, we're going to have to look at a couple scriptures before. And so if you want to look at verse 16 of chapter 3 with me, this is what it would say. It's referring to the baptism of Jesus. Jesus at the beginning of his ministry was baptized. And so if you ever wonder, why should I be baptized? The simplest answer is this. Jesus was baptized himself. And it says there's this point where he was being baptized in the Jordan River. And what it would say is, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was open. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. You have a picture right here where the entire trinity is present. You see, when Jesus came down to earth, the Father was still on the throne and the Spirit was still there. And what you see here is he's baptized and the Spirit comes on him. And then the Father himself speaks over the Son. Now let me teach you something about the Bible here. Because when it comes to learning about God, and it comes about learning about his character, when you get a moment where a member of the Trinity is talking about another member of the Trinity, that's important stuff. If we're going to trust anyone in what they say about Jesus, wouldn't you think that the Father might be a credible source? Amen? He's probably the most credible source out there. You want to trust your friends at school? You want to trust your parents? You want to trust your culture or your society or your history books or the news? This is what the Father says about it. In the same way, it's like if you're going to learn about football and you had to choose between Peyton Manning and your grandma you probably choose Peyton Manning because he has an understanding of it. Well, Grandma's always great. Amen? What would the father say? This is my son whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. There's a declaration made over who Jesus is. You are my son. You are the Messiah, and I love you, and I am so pleased with you. This is at the beginning of his ministry. And what's interesting, too, if you know how people sometimes say things and then they change or they, something happens and something gets revoked, how much, if words were not going to be revoked, it's probably be the Father's, amen? Like if the Father says something, it is set in stone because of who he is, amen? So then Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. You are loved I'm well pleased with you. So what does Satan say? If you are the son of God. Well, wait a minute. The father just said you are the son of God. That you are loved and that you are well pleased. So why would he need to change stones into bread to prove himself as the Messiah? Why would he need to jump off the temple and be saved by angels in order to prove himself as the Messiah? Why would he need to work for something that has already been declared fully in him? This is where temptation and accusation and lying can all come in a combination from an enemy that lies to us. 
tells us that we have to try harder to earn God's love when God has already given it to us. Amen? The whole thing is a lie. The enemy doesn't just lie in what he says, but how he says it. If you are the Son of God. Well, that's a lie in itself. That whole phrase and the context of it is a lie. Because he is the Son of God. The temptation was in Satan asking Jesus to earn his way into the Father's approval. But Jesus already had it. He's asking him to strive. Asking him to earn his way into something that the Father had given freely to him. And in the same way, when it comes to our lives, we have an enemy that wants to tempt us and convince us to earn our way into the Father's approval when you can have it freely if you'd receive it. Amen? It's free for us to receive. In fact, if you could rewrite this story, I think it's a pretty common story for all of us. I know it is for myself that here you are giving yourself to Jesus and he makes a declaration over you that This is my son. This is my daughter. I love you, and I'm pleased with you. Did you know that God is actually pleased with you because of who you are and because of who you put your faith in? But then we walk out, and we have an enemy that says, well, if you're a Christian, then you need to earn your way. You need to to show some results here. We begin to believe this lie about ourselves that, well, if I am a Christian, then we begin to think that we're not enough. When the Father has already declared that you are more than enough. Amen? You see that happening here. We see it happen too often in our lives. This upcoming weekend for our junior high ministry, we're doing a retreat for the guys. And it's a specific retreat that focuses on sexual purity. And one of the reasons why we felt like the Spirit was moving in this way was because we were seeing a lot of the bondage and the hurt and the pain that things like sexual immorality, sexual addictions, pornography, sexual abuse was having on these dudes. And it was a lot for them to handle. And it was so much so that we felt like we need to do a whole retreat on it. We need to have a whole weekend away to be able to help and to digest and to dive into their heart and things that could change. But one of the things that we often see in this, I can't, I can't tell you how many, how many guys have sobbed in my office when talking to them about sexual addiction that when they struggle or when they sin or when they stumble they just they feel immediate shame come over them and then they try to get out of it but they try to get out of it on their own they try to earn their way and they say well I just need to I just need to stop and then and then I can tell people well I just need to stop and then I can go to God well I just need to stop and then I'll be enough I just have to be quiet until I do enough do enough. But what ends up happening is the shame allows for isolation and then the grip of the sin tightens itself around them because now they're more isolated and now they're more not relying on God and they're relying on themselves. And so this thing, this idea of I'm going to try harder and I'm going to work harder before I can go to the Father, but what ends up happening is they just get more trapped in sin and they end up being farther away from God even though they didn't mean to. And oftentimes, this journey that they walk looks like this. You need to come to the Father first and accept his forgiveness first. You need to come into the light and know that we love you, even in the midst of feeling like you're you're knee-high, waist-high in sin, that we love you and we want to be with you now. 
and that only together and only if that comes first can you walk out with God out of something like that. See, Jesus was baptized before heading into the desert to be tempted, not after it. That's for us. That's for each of us. If you're struggling in here, if you feel like you're striving or earning your way into faith, that's a word for you. Because the Father declared Jesus, his Son, well-pleased in love before he went to go to battle, before he went to face against temptation, not after it. See, oftentimes we think we're in the desert and we got to make our 40 days before we can make it to our baptism, our big day. But we just got to put together 40 good days of resisting the enemy's temptations. In a way, we live life like that of we need to earn before we can accept God's love. But this is why Jesus went to the cross for us. Because he knew the only way that we could live in freedom is by accepting his love first. Amen? Only that way. Can we truly walk out? The irony of it is when you say, I'm going to earn my way and, uh, to my baptism to where the Father declares over me, you're doing things without God. That's the irony, and that's where sin can sometimes wrap itself around you. And what I know from my life, ironically, it's the places that I try to earn my love from God, those are the places that I listen to him the least. The places that I try to earn my love the absolute most are actually the places that I listen less and the least to God because I'm trying to do things on my own strength. It's the same for us as well. When you try to earn your way into something and earn your way out of something, oftentimes you're relying on something other than God. You're relying on your own strength. See, it's out of recognizing who we are in the Lord that we're able to stand up and fight and live out what God has for us with God. And I want you to catch that last part, with God. Because we don't do it on our own and we can't do it on our own. You know, something interesting about this passage regarding the Bible and God's story is this. Jesus going into the desert 40 days, for that culture, that meant something. Because when the Israelites came out of Egypt, you know the story where God delivered them from Pharaoh and the Egyptians. They went for 40 days in the desert, but they failed. They, They turned away from God. They relied on themselves, and they weren't able to enter into a promised land that God had intended for them. They relied on their own strength, and here where man failed, Jesus goes 40 days and relies on the Father and what he had set him in and what he had called out over him and triumphed. Jesus walked the 40 days in the desert for us. He walked it for you. You don't have to try and make 40 days by yourself in the desert. Because he's made it already for you, amen? It's the same for us. And Deserts are a natural part of life. Temptations are a natural part of life. Temptation in itself isn't sin. Jesus was tempted. But it's, it's how you respond that determines whether you live in victory or not. Whether you rely on the Lord or not. And I think something in this story that you see that's so profound about it. Because maybe you're in a place and you go, well, what do I do then? Well, what do I do? I know I have to rely on the Lord, but... What does that mean? What does that mean to rely on God's love? Well, it looks like this. Accepting God's strength means you accept his word. You accept what he says about it. God says he loves you. That means accepting his love on his terms. Amen? Notice something about this story with the three temptations because you have an enemy that says, if, if you are the son of God, 
What does Jesus do in every time? He says, it is written. It is written in God's word. In fact, Jesus quotes the Old Testament. He, he quotes Deuteronomy 6, two verses in there, and then Deuteronomy 8. Deuteronomy is probably his favorite book, amen? He likes it. But if anyone had a right to rely on his own opinion, it's probably Jesus. Some could say his opinion was his word, but either way, for us, here's the thing. To fight against temptation, to fight against anything in this world, truth is the only thing that can stand up against it. And how can you fight with truth if you don't know it? It's hard to do. It's like knowing you're supposed to fight with a weapon, but you don't have it or you don't know how to use it. See, truth is this thing that Jesus gives, and you see him just It is written, it is written, it is written, because Satan can't stand against that. No matter what you put your hope in, the one thing that Satan cannot take away from you is this. It's the truth of God and understanding it over your own life. You know, in that same way that we said if God talks about something, you should probably listen to him. In Joshua chapter 1, it's a story of after 40 years in the desert, after the Israelites got there, They're now on the brink of entering the promised land, and their leader, his name is Joshua, is receiving instructions from God about the word, and God talks about the word. So what does God say about the word? He doesn't say, just read it, but he says, keep this word on your lips. Make it your speech. And he says, meditate on it day and night. It's like this intimate relationship that we get to have with God's word, that it's the very essence of who we are in the same way that the word was Jesus. Amen? The same way we get to have a deep relationship with the word and understanding what it is and living it out. What's interesting, I want to I show a couple slides um, up front. Nally, can you put that first one up? What is that? Anyone? You can be wrong. It's fine. I'll just correct you. It's a foundation. Anybody know what a foundation is to a house? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Trained well. <laughs> foundation to a house is the thing that holds the house together. I remember when I was in elementary school, we had an addition added to our house. And it was weird because we had these uh, two rooms added to the side. And it felt like it took forever Everybody say forever. Forever? It took forever for them to put in the foundation, to put in the concrete. And it's like, hurry up and build the house. I want to see my new rooms. But they took forever on it. Foundations are so crucial and key to a house. In fact, if you mess up a foundation, the whole house will come down. Natalie, I want you to show the next slide. That's an example of a house with a bad foundation. See, like, the kind of turning of it? Can you show the other one as well? This one's pretty bad. Look at that. That's all from just a faulty foundation. That's not from anything necessarily up that's happening. Yet later, I, wanna, I want you guys to know this. I want you to keep up that slide, if that's cool, Natalie. Because it doesn't matter what's on top of the foundation. That won't keep it up. It's the foundation itself that determines whether the house will stand or fall. And with that, what's interesting, too, is what can't you see in that photo? 
you can't. Thank you, Bill. <laughs> You're a smart little high schooler, aren't you? <laughs> so, but you can't see the foundation. But that doesn't mean it's not there. And we all have a foundation that might not be visible to the people around us. It might not be completely visible to the people even closest to us, but that doesn't mean it's not there, and it doesn't mean it doesn't serve a vital purpose in our lives. Amen? In fact, Jesus himself would say later in Matthew 7, a couple chapters later after this, at the end of the chapter, he says he's giving all these commands, he's sharing his word, he's painting a picture of what the kingdom of God looks like, and then he says, therefore, in light of all this, he says, those who hear my words and put them into practice, he doesn't say, are goody two-shoes. Or you're Bible scholars. He says, you put my words into practice. And he says, you are like a house that's built on a deep foundation of rock. When the storm came against it, it stood because of the foundation. When you obey, when you give time for God's word, when you learn, when you meditate, when you make it a part of who you are, it builds a foundation that no one and nothing can stand against. Yet what he says in that chapter 2, he says, but those who hear my words and don't put them into practice, those who don't make the word a part of who they are, well, they're like a house bit on sand. And they'll only stand as long as there's no storm. But even then, doesn't matter what the house looks like, doesn't matter how big the house is, no matter how wide or how tall, the minute a storm comes, the minute a testing, temptation comes, says it'll fall. It'll fall. Because, not because of the house, but because of the foundation it's built on. What is the foundation of your life built on? Who do you build your house on? Where do you start with that? Where do you rely on? Interesting, I'm doing a a rooted discipleship group. I'm facilitating a group. We have people from ages 20 to 60 years old in our group. And there's this one person um, in the group who is, we, we we were doing an icebreaker and the icebreaker was, what was the best advice that you've ever gotten in your life? And this, this girl was sharing how when she was in high school, she was struggling with depression. Um, not, not clinical, but just depressed about life, feeling the weight of everything around her. It was, her life was kind of just starting to spiral out of control. Her life, she was feeling the burden of things. She was telling her mom about it. And her mom said these profound words that stuck with her. She just said... Not in condemnation, but just kindly. She said, have you been spending time with Jesus? She just said no. And that that changed her because she realized, I need to be built on that. If I, Otherwise, I'll just continue to fall apart, fall apart. doesn't matter how many times I rebuild it. It'll just continue to fall down. And that's how cycles can be broken is by the foundation of which you build it on. God's truth is the only foundation that can stand against anything. But it starts with accepting his love and accepting his words on his terms. Aaron, can you come back up? I want us go ahead and put your Bibles away. I just want us to respond in a simple way this morning to this message because I feel like the Spirit of the Lord is here and speaking to us. But... You know, when it comes to accepting, when it comes to opening, when it comes to vulnerability, we get to be vulnerable with the Lord first and foremost. 
And it means we get to be vulnerable with what we think, but also how we think about things. Because Christ is enough for us in those places, and his grace is enough in those places. This morning, if you just want to bow your heads with me. There's a scripture in Jeremiah 17. I just want to read it to you. I want you guys just to listen to it. It says, this is what the Lord says. It says, cursed is the one who trusts in man, the one who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands, and they will not see prosperity when it comes before them. They'll dwell in the parched places of the desert, referring to that same word, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord and whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. Now listen to this. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought, and it'll never fail to bear fruit. Lord, we we come before you, and Lord, we acknowledge that we need you, that we need to be built on you, that we need to be rooted in you and your words and what you say about us and about how we live, how we view things, how we go about our lives, Lord. We know that your word builds us a foundation in those places. This morning, maybe you're here and you've been just feeling the weight of the world because you've been trying to earn your 40 days to earn your baptism and to earn those words of affirmation from God. But this morning, Jesus is saying to you that you just need to accept it right now that he's speaking over it before you go out, before you're tested, before you go out, before you grow you will this morning you need to you need to understand that you are loved and well pleased this morning maybe you're here and you've been trying to do it on your own effort by your own word and you want to accept God's word maybe you don't even open up God's word in your life and this morning you're feeling the the Holy Spirit saying trust me make time for my word hear what I have to say have an intimate relationship with my word I'm not calling you just to read it and to memorize it and to have knowledge, but to have an intimate, deep relationship and a foundation built on the truths of my word. God desires that. And if that's you this morning, I want to pray with you as well. Jesus, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your grace that you love us, Lord, that you're well pleased with us when we come to you first place, Lord. You're our first love, Lord, and we come to you and we we accept that freely and we accept your word freely. Lord, would you be our foundation? Would you be our rock that stands against any storm, whatever that might be for our lives? But Lord, we declare that we want to build that foundation with our house. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray together. And everyone said, amen, amen.